ability to see the opportunity at hand in your current situation. And I think as growing up, it's understandable in your 20s especially, you kind of just, you just, uh, it's basically just a big experiment, you know, you're just testing stuff and, and working out what works for you, whether it's relationships, whether it's drugs, alcohol, study, you name it, you just, you just basically just stuffing it down your throat and working it out, you know, uh, well, I was at least. Um, and I think, uh, and as important as that is to discover life and travel and all these incredible things, um, maybe having a mentor earlier on or just a kind of a, a wise voice, either if you, in your own head or you know, somebody in your ear, that can just keep pointing out in this incredible situation you're in right now, whether it's university, whether it's travel, whether it's your first job, you know, one or two insights into, okay, what, what do you want to get out of the situation? Rather than just like blazing through it and having a gung-ho time and, and you know, having a blast and, and failing and succeeding or whatever. But yeah, just kind of once in a while coming back a bit because I had one experience on my scholarship up in England and, you know, I had a blast. I'd finished bursary in New Zealand. I went up there to do my A-levels. It was a rugby scholarship kind of slash academic and, and uh, I kind of did what I thought I was meant to do, which is play rugby and do a bit of study. But in hindsight, the real opportunity was to, you know, really, they had this school, they had theatre, they, uh, they had, like, clubs and societies, they had photography. There's all these incredible opportunities I never even tapped into. I literally played rugby, drank some beer, did some drugs, went to some dance parties. And it was amazing, but I, I, I could have done so much more spectrum of experiences. And I kind of almost pissed off nobody stopped me and said, hey, dude, you know, look around, there is more than just that, what you're doing right now, you know. So, yeah, I think that'd be one I'd, I'd take on. That was Jade Gray. This is Dugget, the podcast. Welcome to Dugget, your daily dose of vitamin D-O-U-N-G to get you not just through the day, through the week, but flying through it with a spring in the step with ecstatic energy in the veins, just kind of buzzing at molecular level, head to toe. That's what it's all about. That's, uh, that's living. And I've had a couple of down days and I've been trying to identify what happened, you know, like lacking sleep focusing on the wrong things and and trying to counteract that and part of my <laughs> part of my uh, strategy to get out of that headspace is to meet someone like Jade and to spend time with um the people who who inspire and uplift you and Jade's one of them for me I've only known him uh a few months now through the yoga world so if you doubt studio red you'll uh, probably see him in his beautiful partner Kerry on the mat and he was just a, a guy with a real kind of spark in his eye and, and smile and enthusiasm for life and always friendly and intriguing and asking questions and you know I, I knew it was interesting but his backstory is just it, it's really fascinating it took me uh <laughs> took me by surprise that he'd, he'd been living in China for 20 20 years and the business he's got pizza businesses and cafes and he's had gyms and he's 
I, I didn't even realize half the stuff he's done, even um, all the new stuff he talked about today on the podcast. And now he's advising for the government on our relationship with China and and how to innovate in the future and you know his passion for sustainability and and he gave me this book on b corp like businesses that are doing better in the world and um he's got so many wonderful insights not just into business but into how to live your life as well and um and yeah it's just a, a rich book of goodness like a entrepreneurial encyclopedia um, and I love just a few of the insights even after the podcast finished about letting go of the losing side of the shore to discover new lands, just kind of to a lot of people who talk and think and don't do a lot. And I'm certainly guilty of that. That's the name of the podcast is the catch, the kind of little token phrase at the end of it. My um, manifesto for the podcast was to think less, experience more, to just, if you've got half an idea, just make it happen. If you want to kind of talk to someone, just go say hi. And um, and so to, to have a chat with Jaden to actually make it happen was a real treat. And to hear what he's done um, really inspires me to do, do the same. So I'm sure he'll get you kind of pumped with life and ideas and wanting to visit China and, um, and so many things. And uh, letting go of the safety net, and and also I love the insights into how he prepares his day. There's these little. I kind of wonder what makes some people so balanced and passionate and energized, and it's it's almost backwards engineering it. Um, and it's something I really want to focus on is not letting anyone, anyone, anything take away your happiness and to kind of control what you can control. And a big part of that's morning routines. And I love how he even talks about evening routines, so setting up the morning by the evening. And it's, it's simple stuff, but the people who implement it seem to be the ones who do everything else amazingly well in life. It's, uh, it's uh, the small things that count. Um, and they, they really add up. And Jade's a, a testament to that. So it's a great conversation. I'm sure you get plenty out of it. Great books, great insights, great um, ideas. And uh, I'm kind of excited about that Asia market too and the possibility with New Zealand and where we're at. We're just in such a fortunate place. And once, uh, you know, if, if the mind's in a great space, then you can start to realize some of the potential that we've got here, which is uh, super exciting. So super pumped. To put this one out, thank you, Jade, again for all your wisdom, all your joy. Um, again, find people like that in your life that uplift you. Is to 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 have anything less than exceptional in your life is, um, I, I think, falling short of our human potential, which is what we all want to kind of create, even if we don't know it yet. So, thank you for listening. Much love. Here is Jade Gray with some wisdom from New Zealand, China and beyond. Enjoy. Oh, and, and, and uh, enjoy Arthur Arbez too. I'm gonna use a couple more of his songs for the intro outros. On the previous podcast, he's, uh, yeah, I mean, there's some energy and <laughs> musical form for you to get you going.
like talking directly into it or yeah, just talking towards yeah. you or it should pick it up pretty good and I can always yeah. fix the levels up a touch okay it. yeah let's get going then let's oh do thanks it. for coming to yoga class first yeah Jay this is it had to uh, keep the tradition going the ritual going what what does your normal have you got like a morning routine because if you're spending a lot of time between China and here do you try and make sure you fit certain things in your day or yeah definitely I mean morning routine is kind of uh, it's almost pretty sacred now eh? it's like kind of my, my church <laughs> you know I don't go to a chapel but I've got yeah living on the road a lot I finally get that morning sorted that first kind of depending on the day I mean on a good day I'll get four hours it's it's open mind yeah um on a have a great day. Um, I can cut that out. So, oh, good. so you normally, yeah. I mean, on a um, on a good morning, if I haven't got a too crazy day, I'll get about you know four hours in at the start of the day to get myself, you know, do my stuff. Oh, so you and, give uh, yourself four hours just yeah, to get prime. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I have this morning ritual that um, I've kind of honed over the years, and uh, it really just sets me up for the day. And uh, it was actually I went to a conference in Sydney and. It was an uh, entrepreneur organization conference, EO, and Tim Ferriss was speaking. Um, there was a bunch of other really inspiring cats, the guy that started Kontiki Tours, um, just some really interesting characters. And one thing they all came back to was this morning ritual and uh, how that's just like sacred and you got to lock it in for you and, and serve yourself first in the morning, get your, get your energy vibrating in the right space, and then the rest of the day you just go for it and uh, you don't have to worry about creating space during the day or you've already done it. You know, and, mm. and so I, I stick by that, and um, so yeah, yoga is a big part of that in the morning. Anything else? Do you? Yeah, I mean, uh, what meditate, do I do? Mean, eat certain foods. Yeah, so. meditate. Uh, I'll do a bit of visualization. I'll uh, have a good nutritious breakfast, um, unless I'm fasting, um, and then I'll read something inspiring. I'll uh, do the, the old five-minute kind of daily journal, you know, gratitude, um, yeah, things like that. And then I'll also move one personal uh, goal forward, right? So nothing to do with work, nothing to do with just a real personal, and just take that time to like push it forward, like spend 10, 15 minutes on something which I've kind of, you know, maybe it's sorting out a, a learning course, maybe it's uh, I've always wanted to get in touch with an old friend from school whatever it is like I'll just choose something that day that I'm gonna yeah uh, look, <laughs> I, I like that and uh, any particular style of meditation or any um, I've, to be honest I've kind of stuck with I did Vipassana years ago and so I've kind of used that as my foundation um, but it's nothing it's not tantric it's not I don't go yeah. to some uh, yeah, other universe. Um, it's pretty basic, just very calm, a lot of breath, um, get very present, yeah. and then uh, and I and that's a good place to start visualizing from. I find, you know, because um, mm. I think then you're kind of in tune with the universe. You're 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 vibrating in a good good space, and then I think that's when you're at your most uh, influential. Mm. And you try and just imagine the life you want to create with the visualization. Yeah, yeah. I, I kind of start off. Typically, I'll work in one direction. So actually what I do is I'll, I'll meditate for about 10 minutes. I'll then actually drop a belief for about 10 minutes. I've got to process how to drop 
things that are holding me up in life, yeah. things no longer serve me. So I've got a way to let that go. And then, um, and then I pick something up and that's where the visualization comes in. Like, hey, what do I want to pick up in my life? And so then I'll visualize. Um, and often the thing I let down is opposite to the thing I want to pick up. Mm -hmm. right, it's kind of double reinforces that uh, intention. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and yes, yeah, so about 10 minutes of that. So it's about a 30 minute kind of process. Um, and by the end of it, I'll kind of hold that. And once you've visualized it, I then kind of bring it back into my life now rather than this kind of future thing. And when I kind of, you know, open my eyes up, I'm already in that state of being. It's kind of the, that's the theory at least. Oh, beautiful. And do you have a specific time you try and get up? I know a lot of these kind of uh, really driven entrepreneurial people can be up at the break of dawn every day or do you, do you have a bit more of a relaxed? Yeah, it depends where I'm at. If I'm in a good routine like here in Auckland, not on the road, um, I'll be up at, you know, five o'clock. Um, it's kind of my quarter past five. It's my go-to time. Um, if I'm on the road, it can be anything from five to you know eight o'clock. If I was at one of my restaurants the night before, so. Mm. Um, but no, I like to get up early. I find the energy in the mornings a lot more efficient and productive, and just, just I really enjoy the mornings. You mm. know, be, to be honest, one thing I learned was I used to always focus on getting up early. What I worked out is actually it's not about that. It's about going to bed early. Yeah, I was about to and say, what's the night, yeah, night routine? Because it's actually that's what sets you up. Mm. And I think if you focus too much on getting up early, that's when you trip yourself up because you're waking up tired, I used to get cranky, and like it felt like a real challenge. Now I'm just disciplined about going to bed early. Mm. And uh, I find by doing that, the mornings are easy. That's, that's not the challenge. Um, mm. It's more about you know, getting in an earlier dinner, uh, having a bit of time down in the evening, and then... Uh, not just hang around at night because I can. It's more like, okay. And I actually look forward to getting to bed, to be honest. After a, when you're up at five, you're actually quite excited to get to bed about 9.30, 10. So, mm. <laughs> yeah, maybe I'm getting a bit older as well. It's a bit easier. Uh, I've, I've been fighting that battle for a while and burning at both ends just doesn't. And then all the research into the power of sleep and longevity through getting eight hours sleep is. Yeah, yeah. You know, working backwards is, is, is yeah. the way to go. Yeah. Um, and uh, for people who don't know you, how would you sum up what you do, what you do now? Is there... Um, I mean, it's kind of two levels, right? We often, what do you do? You, you go straight to work and what do you do? But um, my first reaction is, yeah, just kind of exploring life. That's probably the best way to put it. Um, and uh, just... Yeah, looking to grow and evolve and all these things that you do on the journey. Um, a big part of that for me has been China. Um, I've been uh, living in China for the last you know, 20 years. And I've just moved back to New Zealand uh, two years ago now. Um, so I went up there after university. I did Chinese at university. I was always focused on China as this kind of the great unknown to me. It was the, the biggest thing I get my head around was China. Uh, the biggest challenge, the biggest kind of adventure. And yeah, did, did, did uni Chinese marketing as well. I was always pretty commercial. And then just headed across there and, and uh, never came back. Um, so still got a lot of operations up there, my business, um, which is a uh, hospitality company primarily. We do restaurants up in China. We've got uh, three brands, four brands, uh, three restaurant brands, one called Gung Ho Pizza, which is like a New Zealand gourmet pizza company. 
We've got one called uh, Pyro Pizza, which is a New York pizza style. And we've got a cafe bar called Lush, which is kind of based on a Wanaka cafe vibe. Um, and then we've got a, a dance party brand, which does raves uh, and like warehouses and outdoor festivals and stuff called Yen, uh, Y-E-N. And that's, um, yeah, so it's kind of one of those things you just fall into in life and never left China expecting I'd be doing hospo, but here we are and now I've moved back to New Zealand. I'm running it remotely from here with a, an awesome team up in China who uh, keep things cranking and growing and and I head up there every probably six to eight weeks to um, keep an eye on the details and yeah man, but uh, again, it all started with adventure and exploration and, and that's kind of where I, I still try and keep it at. And what, <coughs> and what was the original fascination with China because Asia is probably the place I least explored as a kid like looking at art history and it was all Europe and the Renaissance and and what kind of got you intrigued into China yeah it was a funny one because now it's kind of a given until well, at least commercially um, in 19 actually so it started actually I got the the kind of the, I guess the the world bug when I was seven my parents uh, took a year off life we bought a camper van, we drove through Europe for a year, year off school, and it really opened my mind up to the world. Um, yeah, New Zealand were pretty isolated. I mean, amazing, obviously, growing up as a kid, but you do, you just don't understand what the world's about, really, in terms of culture and history and all those things. So that really opened my mind up, and then I was always determined to get back overseas since then. And then I did a scholarship over in London in 1993 uh, at an English public school, and I remember speaking to my economics teacher and he said, you know, I was telling him how I wanted to do international trade with Europe and England. And he was like, forget that. He said, you know, Europe doesn't give a, give a toss about New Zealand. <laughs> Your future's Asia. And, uh, yeah, you should go back and learn Asian language. And, and uh, it was, I mean, career-wise, was the best advice I ever got. Mm. Um, so took that on and went back to uni in Otago and just, there was Japanese or Chinese. I'd kind of missed the boat in Japan. There was like 400 in the class. It was all the rage. And China seemed to me a lot more mysterious. It was bigger, obviously. And, and uh, it was just, I was starting to get murmurs and stuff I read that China was potentially about to kind of wake up, as Napoleon would put it. And uh, yeah, I just kind of decided to give Chinese a crack and um, copped a lot of grief for it, I can honestly say. like. Um, a few confused parents and, and friends that kind of like you doing what um, but stuck with it it was found it pretty fascinating not easy I mean a joke but I was uh, there was 16 in first class and I remember I was pretty much bottom of the class and uh, I hung in there in the second year there was 16 of us and I was, I was bottom of the class and then in the, fir- the last year the third year I was 6 out of 6 and bottom of the class And but as I told my dad I said hey I was top 10 percentile man you know like <laughs> from the first year and just just kind of hung in there and and my way of learning I knew was had to get to China I wasn't a you know I wasn't an academic so I uh, just jumped first chance to China and went across there on a, on a holiday and on a semester break and actually went across and did uh, skiing over there and did a bit of ski instructing up in northern China up on the Russian border which is a trip uh, been from Wanaka kind of had that in my blood and uh, yeah, got a taste of it, came back, finished my degree, and then headed straight back. And what, were you always thinking like, try and start some businesses? Because you, you mentioned you had a gym, 
and you had some other cafes and what was, was the excitement of starting something or was it, what was the big motive to, to get into the business? Yeah, it was, I was always, you know, business minded. Um, as a kid, I was always finding ways to make money. Um, my dad uh, had a supermarket and he uh, always offered me work, which was great. But as kids, we always had to work in the holidays. It wasn't just play. And, uh, but the, the deal was if, if we couldn't find a job elsewhere, we had to work in the supermarket. So I was always trying to find ways to not work in the supermarket packing shelves. <laughs> my brother loved it. I, I, I couldn't really handle it. Um, so, you know, washing windows or like uh, mowing lawns, you name it. And then um, right through uni, it was the same. Always did like ventures at uni, trying to make a buck. And then got to China and uh, got into some corporate work. And that was great to start with because it kind of gave me a bit of foundation. Um, but yeah, I mean, my, my soul was always yearning for my, yearning for my own venture. And um, my last job was running a abattoir in, in Kunming in southern China <laughs> and um, I remember sitting there on a 3am shift because in China there's no cool, cool chain um, they kill everything fresh at the night and then it goes to the wet market in the morning and they sell it fresh because there's no refrigeration so um, I was working for McDonald's and uh, I was running the, the abattoir and, and uh, yeah just sitting there watching these poor animals getting slaughtered and in pretty pretty nasty nasty means and uh i just thought right this has gone too far <laughs> like what am i doing here and then a friend actually rang up and had a deal he, literally like in a game of poker or something he won a, a gym um and he said like i've got this gym it's in, like the foreign student part of china and beijing uh, a lot of foreign students it's a you know great location for a gym uh, i know you're into fitness do you want to come up and run this and and i was like yeah I'm there, and uh, so I quit my job, went up there, invested, we went halves in that business, and, and yeah, set up a fitness center on a, on a campus, and uh, it was a hit, man, uh, because the students had nowhere else to go in about a 10 kilometer radius uh, that had rain machines and kind of things we'd expect. So uh, that was 1999, and um, yeah, just took off, and so got into the whole entrepreneuring world. And have you had like mentors or coaches or anyone to like a sounding board to guide you through this process or has it been just people you've worked with and reading books and um no formal mentor um earlier on actually i know guy you've had a podcast with michael mail he was probably one of my first kind of business mentors um and i worked for cookie time for about three years in, the, in my student holidays uh, and he was the real inspiration and, and uh, just his mindset really affected me. Um, my parents, they're both entrepreneurs. Uh, so, you know, just not such an form, just a kind of a mum and dad way, just through support. Uh, they were always incredibly supportive uh, in their own ways. Uh, and, but no, to be honest, I mean, up in China, it was, it was, a, pretty, it was a pretty lonely journey for the first probably five years, to be honest. Uh, I went up there by myself, didn't know anybody up there. Um, I mean, my first job, real job, after the ski instructing was running a cattle farm up in northern China. And I flew up with about 400 Angus cattle out of North Canterbury. And we loaded up a 747 Megatop and, uh, with cattle. And, uh, you know, me and six guys, I spent six months learning how to farm up in North Canterbury uh, because I needed a, somebody who could speak Chinese uh, to run the farm up there. 
that was my, and I was just desperate to get to China, clearly desperate. <laughs> um, and so I jumped on this gig and, and uh, went up there with the cattle and they dumped me up there and they set up the farm for about two weeks and then left me with, you know, about 300 cattle, I think it was, Black Angus, you know, top stud cattle to rate, you know, for embryo transfer and semen transfer. And, you know, I was left to run it and I was 22 years old and, you know, livestock die, you know, they're reasonably called live because they, they can die, you know, and, and uh, it was quite a, quite a responsibility looking back on it. Um, and yeah, so kind of, I was in a city of 3 million people, I was on the outskirts, um, I was the only foreigner outside of, there was some, I think it was Koreans and Japanese there, but I was the only kind of Western person there. And uh, that was a lonely year, you know, a lot of responsibility, the, the project was a complete disaster in hindsight. Um, you know, it wasn't a lot of internet access or mobile phones, it was 1997, eight. And uh, yeah, it kind of, it was the toughest year of my life without a doubt, but I uh, learned a lot about China, lived in a village with the locals. And uh, yeah, so I, th I kind of learned from that age, really early on that I had to rely on myself a lot and uh, and it turned out that the partners we were working with were actually trying to sink the business. Um, they, they had another another agenda, uh, the local Chinese partners. They wanted to basically just clear out the coffers of, of the bank and and sell the cattle and, and just cash up. They weren't trying to build a business. So, you know, I was fighting this massive force that I wasn't even aware of and it was pretty soul-searching times. But come out, you know, pretty scarred and left China, swore I'd never go back, went to Wanaka for a year, and then um, got the bug again and came back. Oh, well, that's... And what, was there anything, just the independence you took out of that, really? Was it just to want to be in control and, and, and yeah, do yourself? Yeah, I think it wasn't about control, actually. It was probably learning to let go of control. And, you know, being a bit of a control freak, um, that was a tough lesson, you know, that there was just too many variables I could handle, culture, you know, uh, relationships and cattle and you name it. Um, so it was a pretty humbling experience. Um, and yeah, I, I think I definitely came away with that. I came away with a sense of, I saw my edge of breaking point, which I'd never seen before in my life. Mm -hmm. And that was quite, quite a scary moment when you realize I do have a breaking point. And, uh, you know, and that was quite a, quite a shocking experience. Um, I remember, you know, halfway through the year, just, just at one point, literally just, you know, just in a ball of tears for about half a day. I just couldn't, I was just broken. And um, it was a tough six months after that. Um, but yeah, like learning, I do have limits uh, and how do I work in my environment to kind of go beyond the environment that I can then survive in any situation. Um, and so taking pressure off myself and, and setting expectations and, and uh, yeah, things like the ritual, you know, looking after myself first and rather than just dumping everything into my passions and my obsessions, which can be a, a slippery slope. Yeah, what are the big, big passions or obsessions now? Is there anything like, you talk about life, is there some bucket list things yeah. you're trying to tick off, some new Chinas? Totally, man. Um, yep, no, it's been, uh, especially the last couple of years and, and uh, yeah, moving back to NZ, it's been a great chance to, you know, reboot as well um, and really reassess in life what I want to get out of life and where I want to go. And um, it's been a real exciting times because, uh, yeah, I've got a great foundation up there now. Um, got an you know, awesome team. We've got about 150 people up on the ground up there that I can leverage across, you know, numerous projects. And, um, 
and now a lot of my goals, to be honest, uh, yeah, a lot of them are kind of, uh, a lot of around self-discovery as well. And in particular, getting back to adventure. And uh, I've got a new project in the works, which is around adventure in, in New Zealand. And, uh, and, and really, I want to discover New Zealand. Um, it's changed in the 20 years I've been away. And I've changed. And I, I think one important thing for expats coming back, which I've, somebody told me, and I think it's very true, is that you, know, you come back a different person than you left. And New Zealand's changed as well. And I think we have sometimes have a habit just to try and slip back into who we were. Uh, but I think it's a, a massive mistake. And, and so I've really tried to come back as a global citizen um, that's a Kiwi, but not trying to fit back into my necessarily old relationships or my old ways of doing things. Or, yeah, I've come back with fresh eyes. And, and how does New Zealand serve me now? And how can I serve New Zealand? You know, and, and uh, that's, that's kind of what's driving me right now. Because mm. you must see a lot of opportunities like with the, the two markets as well. And you said you've been doing some mentoring for businesses and or consulting work. And like if someone's looking at, um, I'm trying to think, ideas in, in China or, or New Zealand, where do you think are the big opportunities at the, the moment? And, and I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty endless and, and uh, we really are at the tip of the iceberg in this relationship. You know, this is a 100, 200 year relationship. Uh, this is how I see it. And so, yeah, I feel we're about maybe 10% into the, the formation of that relationship. Um, China is literally shaking the world. Um, and it's going to affect us whether we like it or not. It is affecting us whether we like it or not. You just look at school enrollment, you look at property prices, you look at dairy commodity prices. I mean, you know, China is the biggest influence on our economy right now, without a doubt. Um, but it's going to be more than that. It's going to be social. It's going to be cultural. It's going to be historical across every facet of our of our country. It's going to affect, and uh, probably nothing like it since you know since uh, the British came to New Zealand, you know. And so it's a, it's a real time of change, um, and I think you know the the challenge now for New Zealand is to, how do we embrace this incredible opportunity um, that's going to serve New Zealand, and unless we're we really are proactive with this. My fear is it's going to be potentially a, also a very negative force, um, and that's what we need to really be acutely aware of. Um, so the way I'm trying to get proactive and the opportunities I see, I guess it's across all industry. I mean, the obvious ones being the, the, the traditional traditional trading industries of, of uh, agriculture, you know, food and beverage. Um, you know, you got tourism that's cranking up, uh, education. Uh, these are the kind of the big sectors. Uh, but now it's going to move more towards, you know, and Li Keqiang's last visit, the Premier of China, he was out here two, three months ago, and I went along to his kind of, you know, lunch gala, and, and his speech was quite insightful. Um, and the, the, the biggest thing I took away from that is that China's really looking to expand the relationship beyond just the traditional trading. They want to get into innovation, biotech, uh, AI, you know, like uh, anything that's got innovation around it. Yeah, you because know, China's a stage now, it's all about innovation. The last 20 years, it was all about manufacturing. Um, now it's all about innovation. And it'll blow your mind, Doug, when you're up there, just how innovative that country is. What's the big, biggest thing culturally do, do you find a, a shift when you're in China? Is... Um, for me, I mean, probably the, you know, when I come back after 20 years, the, the thing I'm most grateful for is that I get to see the world now through Eastern eyes and an eastern mindset as well as a western one and I kind of can flip between the two um, so 
you know, looking through it through our eastern eyes, the biggest shift. Um, you know, it depends what you're looking at. But overall, you know, the thing that I find uh, the biggest shift there and the way of looking at things is through China mindset is that there's, everything's looked through a very long-term, you know, vision. And so they look at, you know, everything in 20, 50-year blocks. You know, I find in the West it's all around quarterly results mm. or annual returns. And um, so it gives them an advantage in, in the way they can think and scope and scale. And you just look at it across some of their infrastructure projects, uh, you know, Asia, the development, Asia Development Bank and these kind of projects. I mean, these are massive scales because they can look at, you know, and that's through government governance of having a one-party system and all these different, but just Asia mindset in general look very far. So um, with that, I find, yeah, the way I look at problems from business to relationships to family, everything's always looked at a further, further out, if that makes sense. Um, and so with that comes patience, uh, comes kind of a resilience, comes expectations get more realistic. Um, and, but on the flip side, and everything in China is so contrarian is that the flip side is that it's just manic, it's yeah. chaos, and it's like everyone's just going for it like bulls to the wall, you know? And so it's, it's, it's kind of mindset's far ahead, but action is like here and now. I mean, I can get anything custom built up there in about literally 24, 48 hours. And I'm talking about, you know, a new stainless steel top. I'm talking about for my kitchen and the restaurant. Um, if I want to get some, you know, signage made for my store, I can get that done in about, you know, probably two, three days. You know, I mean, I'm trying to get a house built here in New Zealand and I'm looking down the barrel of 12 to 18 months to get a builder. You know, and, and for whatever reason, that's just the reality. Um, so, yeah, it's this real contrast between massive vision, long-term thinking, and just incredible breakneck speed in the now. Mm. Well, that's a pretty dangerous combination. Yeah, really. Um, what? Well, what? You got a favorite pizza, man? Favorite favorite pizza? Uh, right now, yep. Um, I mean, I'm pretty much. I've, I've got a pretty heavy plant diet, so I don't eat a lot of meat. Um, mine, without a doubt, is a uh, it's a eggplant pizza, and uh, we actually got in a, a very famous blogger from China. She's China's top vegetarian blogger. She's got, a, I don't know, probably about you know, 10 million fans online. Wow. And um, she, we bring in celebrity chefs to develop our menu at Gung Ho, and she came in and developed a vegetarian pizza. Um, and it was incredible. And the, the, the catch was she used all these, you know, she used three types of, of uh, aubergine. Um, but the catch was instead of using olive oil, she used sesame, sesame oil. And that was just, it added this Asian twist to a Western, you know, to a product and uh, it's just divine it's light in your mouth it's really uh, you know, it doesn't have that heavy kind of uh, olive oil taste and um, yeah no that, that's, that's my go to right now but our biggest seller is our New Zealand lamb pizza um, and we've got a pretty new, big New Zealand focus and um, it's lamb roasted lamb with tzatziki sauce and, and some rocket and um, yeah it's a pretty big seller right now and what's uh, when you get on the tools at home what's the what are you cooking up for yourself and Kerry if there's a what are we going to? Well, right now we're a bit limited because we don't have an oven. We're kind of squatting in a, in a, a loft we bought. So um, we're into raw food cooking right now, which kind of works for a no <laughs> kitchen kitchen, you know. Um, although we just bought a dehydrator. So that's our, our big toy right now. Oh, nice. We're um, knocking out the, the dehydrator. Um, our go-to, 
I'd say right now, I mean, Kerry does some pretty, uh, pretty innovative cooking on a primer stove and a, and a kind of a hot plate. So I'd say uh, my go-to right now is uh, she's doing some pretty cool like um, curries and, and kind of Mexican stuff and just, yeah, playing with beans and, and uh, yeah, enjoying that. And um, what would you say you'd, you'd be world-class at because you've got all these tools like having the language and having the... Is there anything you think you particularly... Is it the networking? Is it the seeing the, the opportunity? Wow, interesting question. What am I world-class at? Um, what am I world-class at? I would say now, I guess, you know, is my probably my ability to read the China relationship and where it's going to go and how it's going to affect the West and in particular New Zealand. Um, I think just through, you know, the, the path I chose through life, it's given me a pretty unique insight into where it's going. I've got a lot of good relationships in both Chinese and New Zealand governments uh, and, and trading sectors. Some, you know, around some people who kind of, who are shaping the relationship. Um, and through that, yeah, I feel I'm, I'm kind of plugged into where it's heading. And uh, so whether it's advising companies or, you know, I get every month I go down to Wellington and, and I'm training the public sector right now for the government. Um, they've got a, a thing called the China Masterclass. It's an incredible initiative. It's about uh, bringing up to speed all of the public sector in New Zealand around China because it's such a big part of that, you know, with your tourism, education, customs, police, everything's got a connection with China right now. And these guys didn't have the tools to deal with it typically. Um, so the government's had a great push in that. We've done about six or seven classes now. Um, and yeah, so that's probably, I think right now is probably my, my sweet spot. Um, having also just come back fresh to New Zealand from China, I'm kind of still pretty plugged in up there. Mm. Oh, very cool. And and say say it's advice for your or a, your 20 year old self or or a kid that's maybe finished a degree or doing a job then maybe not that into. Would you suggest anything now with with the the opportunities you see? Would you? Like, is travel something I, I feel like I, I missed or the living abroad situation? Um, I guess there's the kind of the possibilities of the unknown. Yeah. But, uh, would there be any advice for your, like, 20-year-old self if you did it differently or, or to someone that kind of age now? Yeah, for sure. I think um, probably the one that really stuck with me was having the ability to see the opportunity at hand in your current situation. And I think as growing up, it's understandable in your 20s especially, you kind of just, you just, uh, it's basically just a big experiment. You know, you're just testing stuff and, and working out what works for you, whether it's relationships, whether it's drugs, alcohol, study, you name it. You just, you just basically just stuffing it down your throat and working it out, you know. Uh, well, I was at least. Um, and I think, uh, and as important as that is to discover life and travel and all these incredible things, um, Maybe having a mentor earlier on or just a kind of a, a wise voice either if you're in your own head or you know, somebody in your ear that can just keep pointing out in this incredible situation you're in right now, whether it's university, whether it's travel, whether it's your first job, you know, one or two insights into, okay, what, what do you want to get out of the situation? Rather than just like blazing through it and having a gung-ho time and, and you know, having a blast and 
and failing and succeeding or whatever. But yeah, just kind of once in a while coming back a bit because I had one experience on my scholarship up in England and you know, I had a blast. I'd finished bursary in New Zealand. I went up there to do my A-levels. It was a rugby scholarship kind of slash academic and, and uh, I kind of did what I thought I was meant to do which is play rugby and do a bit of study. But in hindsight, the real opportunity was to, you know, really, they had this school, they had theatre, they had, uh, they had like clubs and societies, they had photography, there's all these incredible opportunities I never even tapped into. I literally played rugby, drank some beer, did some drugs, went to some dance parties, and it was amazing, but I, I, I could have done so much more spectrum of experiences, mm-hmm. and I kind of almost pissed off nobody stopped me and said, hey dude, you know, look around, there is more than just that, what you're doing right now, you know, so... Yeah, I think that'd be one I'd, I'd take on. Mm. Oh, that's great. And uh, any favorite, like, heroes or book? Uh, we'll just go with heroes. Is there any kind of people you think that they epitomize success or happiness or, or just inspire? Yeah, I mean, oh, there's a book from Napoleon Hill, I think it is, Think and Grow Rich, and one of his big takeaways is have a, have a, a kind of a... a a board of mentors or I think what he called it a mind a master mind class or something um, it basically was like a, a group that you tap into uh, in your mind that you have mentors and, and I always had the head of my table was Nelson Mandela you know he was my my kind of chairman of my board um, and there's other guys thrown in there and anyone from uh, you know guys like a Munston to you know some great explorers um, Branson uh, you know and, and guys that and I really uh, have it in mind. But no, I mean, Nelson Mandela to me sums up the human spirit more than anybody that I've been exposed to and through media or books or never met him. But, um, and actually, one, I've, I've been fortunate to meet one of my heroes, and that was Jane Goodall. And, oh, uh, she's out here. Sure. She's coming up, yeah, yeah. In July this month. Uh, July, I think she's doing her roots and shoots. And uh, she would be, you know, without a doubt, one of my heroes. And, you know, I'm a pretty big greenie, and, and uh, a big part of her business is, is sustainable development. Um, and uh, I was fortunate enough to host her in Beijing for a dinner and, and a very intimate dinner with about six mates and, and we took her out for a dinner and, and it was just the most incredible uh, conversation and uh, she's just something else man and she's traveling 300 days a year she's you know, probably 82 now I think wow. she is relentless and uh, just her spirit is just phenomenal and so yeah these, these people it's, it's a spirit you know and and uh, you know, I think things around success and who you admire, and and to me, it's more around yeah, you know, success is not where you're at; it's where you've come from. And and I think we get caught up in where people are at, but if you delve deeper into, you know, I've met some my, my partner Kerry. She's helping immigrants settle into New Zealand, and wow, you know, these are successful people. These are people who've come out of absolute, you know, just beyond we can imagine scenarios, and now they're they've got their family here in Auckland, and they're setting up and. Yeah, that's success, man. Yeah, more than some person who had a pretty good foundation life and then went on to be a rock star on the internet, you know I mean? So, yeah, I, I think that um, that's, those characters are the ones that really inspire me. Oh, that's beautiful. Um, uh, kind of on that note, if you were prime minister for, the, for, for a day, for a week, what, is there one thing you'd kind of... Be careful, tack- what, you, be careful <laughs> what you wish for, Doug. <laughs> is there one thing you'd tackle? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty, um, I'm pretty passionate on, on, on one area, which is uh, sustainable development, and uh, I just, I, I'm, I'm generally concerned about where New Zealand's heading in terms of its environment, 
and uh, I think we take it hugely for granted. And it's, it's basically just a, a combination of we're very isolated, so we don't get you know, uh, polluted or influenced by other nations. And secondly, we've got a very small uh, you know, population per capita uh, for land mass. And, uh, but our practices are nowhere near internationally or nowhere near green and pure and all these things we like to think we are. Um, and it's, it's pretty scary. And I'm, you know, I've been traveling around a lot recently and you, know, you look at the, whether it's the waterways or the, the soil content or um, you know, deforestation, whatever it is, um, it's, it's pretty, pretty uh, compelling for me. And uh, if it was me, I feel that without a doubt, my biggest agenda would be how do we evolve New Zealand into a world leading you know, class uh, green economy. Mm. And, and green doesn't mean left, it doesn't mean right, it's, it's about progressive, you know? And I, I, I get pissed off when people associate, you know, the whole econo kind of eco-environment, you know, uh, economy kind of issue with the left. This is a progressive movement. And it's about technology, it's about uh, millennials, it's about, you know, the internet, it's about biotech, it's all these things which we have at our disposal. And yet we're just stuck in this, you know, literally a pretty archaic uh, system, I believe, of, of pastoral fed, you know, milk and cows and feeding beef and, you know, and nothing to take away from the hard work of, of the agricultural sector because I've been amongst it. I was at a bull sale last week. I know how hard these guys are and how passionate these people are. But there needs to be more leadership around investing in technologies, around education, around getting foreign uh, you know, uh, influence into New Zealand in a positive way, you know, and, and taking the best New Zealand abroad. And it's not happening at a speed it needs to happen. Yeah, that's, I think that's where a lot of, that's kind of my passion I feel is in that, in that area. And I think, yeah, just hearing you talk about it, it's kind of inspiring to be part of that, that change. And I heard a piece, uh, was it, might have been Pierre Diamandis' coach, but he said you got to, like the, the technology jump can be so fast that the cultural change is not keeping up with it. And this big kind of back, there's a back and forward there and, and to kind of respect, like I said, the work that the farmers have done and the people that have got, got us to here. Um, and then jump off that springboard, I guess. Eh? Um, Absolutely. Because uh, such a great, so many great opportunities. Yeah, um, I think it's that whole, I don't think there's enough conversation about where does New Zealand want to be in 20, 50 years, mm. you know, and, and across all facets of, of government. I'm not saying there's not, there are reports and studies out there and think tanks, but in terms of, a, you know, a general debate and a public forum and a constant forum, you know, when I look at the, 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 the newspapers and the, the chat, I mean, it's, it's pretty, I personally find it a bit, a bit short-sighted and a bit, mm. um, a bit uh, yeah, a bit kind of... Uh, locally focused, you know, rather than big picture stuff. And uh, that's what really, I'd love to see more debate around the bigger issues of where New Zealand's gonna lie in the world in, in mm. 20, 50 years. Yeah, that's exciting. And uh, we'll better wrap it up. I'm sure we've got plenty to get going before you head up to China tomorrow. Um, but on the book note, is there any other books or resources, books or documentaries, any kind of films that you, that have kind of inspired you or you recommend? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, my go-to, you know, I love docos and uh, probably my go-to docos of late, one would be, without a doubt, 180 degrees south, um, which is the 
an incredible story and journey of one of my heroes, um, Yvonne Chouinard, uh, you know, from uh, Patagonia. And um, definitely that. Uh, other books, yeah, I mean, anything from, from Branson I always find pretty inspiring. Um, and uh, Sadhguru, you know, the, uh, the yogi out of India. Um, Sadhguru is the man. He's just such a, you know, he's one of the few yogi kind of spiritual men that I've seen or um, individuals that I've seen that have, can really bring in spirituality into your daily life and how to, you know, rock and roll in the day, but in a, in a kind of a spiritual sense. So um, he's definitely on YouTube. He's got some pretty cool clips. And um, there's so much out there now, you know, with, yeah. with, with podcasts and, and there's, you just got access to so much stuff now. It's incredible and how not to be, yeah, how to filter stuff down a bit without getting overwhelmed. Mm. Oh, that's neat. And um, I might actually record this on the phone, but uh, if there was um, one, maybe just message for the people today. <laughs> this is for the people. Is there uh, <laughs> uh, is there, uh for Anything today. that comes to mind? Message for the day. Um, yeah, that would be pretty simple in that um, no matter where you're at, just make today a little bit better than yesterday, you know? And uh, if we just keep turning up in that mindset, I think we're all good. Beautiful, brother. Oh, I appreciate the time, man. It's such a joy to be around, I think. Likewise, Doug. enthusiasm is just, it's, it's captivating, like, having people like yourself around and just those little snippets of life and insights oh, it's, a, it's a joy no man it's uh it's cool to be here i've been following your on your podcast for a while now so uh it's nice to be in front of the mic and uh <laughs> getting amongst the the dugget world oh and i can't wait to get to china and check out your your spots too yeah it's, dude it's a whole well, this stuff on exponential technology and if yeah, I think if people realised how fast the world's moving, and I haven't even had a look at China and seen how the other countries are moving, but to hear about it on the podcast and from these different people and like yourself, it's see the frightening or exciting, and hopefully yeah. <laughs> I'm in the exciting boat. Totally, yeah. totally, and embrace it. It's going to happen. So, um, but now coming up, man, it'll uh, I think it'll change your stereotype of what China and Chinese are about. Mm. Um, it's such a dynamic place, and and uh, the people are. They're just on a mission. If, and say if someone wanted to go to China, just on a, a note, was there a couple of places you recommend or like a starting point? Say if I wanted to go to a ski trip or do or, or just check it out. Is there a season, a place that you just like, if you can? Yeah, definitely. I mean, China travel for me is all around the shoulder seasons of, of uh, spring and autumn. And uh, depending on which part of China, and obviously it's such a big place, um, but the shoulder seasons definitely for the north. And then... Yeah, I think in travel, there's, this, it's, there's so many, you've got the classic places which you'll find in Lonely Planet. Um, Beijing, without a doubt, you've got to get to Beijing because it is the cultural center of China um, in terms of the big sites, the Great Wall, and all these kind of things. Um, but you know, get off the track and, and there's so many pockets in China. Um, if there, you know, one pocket I'd be heading towards without a doubt is Sichuan, uh, in the southwest of China, Chengdu, incredible city. Uh, Kunming down in Yunnan, southwest as well. That whole southwest corner is is quite unique, and uh, yeah, there's um, there's definitely some uh, you know eco travel tourism. You know, the foothills of the Himalayas. You know that's where Shangri La is. Um, this place is called Lijiang, and 
daily and whatnot. But all through there is, is would be my pick if you really want to get kind of a nice balance between modern China of Chengdu, but also then you're straight into the foothills of Tibet and stuff. And that, that to me is the, the jewel of the China travel. Oh, beautiful brother. That's uh, inspiring. Doug well, it. Awesome, dude. Thanks, Jay. Cheers, buddy. I'll wrap it there. Um, Go on. Shit. Asia, South America now is, I think, that's where I'd be headed. Mm. Um, and Asia, not China, and there's so many other parts of Asia that are kicking off. Um, Indonesia's going to be the, the next big one. To, Indonesia yeah, as well, I think. I think yeah. that's going to be the next big one. Um, sustainable market, huge population. It's the third largest population in the world, largest Muslim population. So, you know, it's, like, it's right on the doorstep. You know, so it's gonna once that pops, it'll be as maybe not as big as China, but um, a shitload closer. And mm. Yeah, so there's all these other kind of routes that kids could take. And if I could get to Bali and do something in Bali for a year and get the get the language under my belt, learn to surf, and if mm. I was in my twenties mm. and uh, meet some cool cats, but also get, I mean, Bali would be a great place to kick off the career in Indonesia, mm. uh, Lombok, or yeah. Oh, very cool. What's the, what's the plan for the rest of the... Uh, we've got to take a leap of faith. Some people can, some people can't. And you just got to put yourself in the big, with there's no land, and you're like, you're just fucking out there. With no safety net. In the net. boat. Yeah, there's no, there's no coming back, you know. And, but you can't discover your land until you do that. And, and uh, that's part of the entrepreneur's journey. And Yeah, and, and you know, also not getting caught up in outcomes, eh? I think entrepreneurship, that's one thing that I think a lot of entrepreneurs go wrong. And there's a whole dark, I don't know if you know, there's a really dark side to entrepreneurship. There's actually a lot more coming out about it now. Um, I'm in a group called EO, which is Entrepreneurs Organization. It's a global network, you know, 8,000 entrepreneurs globally, 40 countries. And uh, there's been a lot of talk in the last year or two around the dark side of entrepreneurship. And you know, we always see the media and blogs about how great entrepreneurs are and fucking Elon Musk's and Branson's and all this kind of stuff. That's like, you know, 0.001 of entrepreneurs, you know. The majority are battling, can't pay their fucking visa, hard up for cash flow, just fucking grafting day in, day out, not even sure if they'll even make it happen. Yeah, that's entrepreneurship, you know, and sure, you get the guys that make it, awesome, financially, but I think a healthy way to approach it is Okay, somebody got this journey where the outcome comes, fuck who knows. But on the journey, I'm just going to always turn up in my best state. That's all I can do, you know. And, and I think if you approach entrepreneurship that way, you don't beat yourself so much. You don't compare yourself with other people so much, which is a trap. And I think you get a lot more compassion with yourself and you, pro you just come in a different mindset. You know, this is, this is, a, journey, this is a journey of self-discovery and my venture whether it's your juice or your tea or your retreat that's just a vehicle of self-discovery you know it gives me experiences and yeah hopefully it allows me to impact and influence but that's not the key reason i'm doing it i'm doing it to put myself in situations i wouldn't normally put myself in you know, i'm going to learn grow as a person infinitely more than if i just stuck my in my little safe world you know and i think when you look at it that way a lot of the pressure comes off you stop getting hung up on fucking getting it all right you know, and that's how I'm set up my next venture. It's very much that way. Yeah. You know.
Because how did you, what's your technique to replace the limiting thoughts too? Do you, did you study a particular method or you just worked it out yourself just to take time to, to, to drop and think of something more compelling? Yeah, I think um, yeah, the morning routine helps a lot. So get the just the, it doesn't really allow limiting thoughts to come in so much. I think I'm a lot more bulletproof in that respect, in a positive sense, not facade, but at a core level, I'm a lot more bulletproof. Um, so it doesn't really allow. It doesn't. I mean, it's like ground, you know. What kind of fertile ground are you creating for seeds? You know, what kind of seeds? And and so by creating that fertile ground for positive, and kind of, and I don't think positive. I mean, life's not all positive. So I think it's about more for me. It's about a more healthy mindset you know healthy includes negative and positive um yeah if, if somebody dies yeah, you should be feeling like shit you should be so i think it's getting that rational healthy mindset and i, I was fortunate I, I now look as fortunate i went through depression for many years and i had like 10 years of depression and uh, when i was in china i was like dude i was on fucking meds i was on like uh going through some pretty dark times and um the upside of that, finally come out of it, you know, thank God, touch wood, is that I had to build up all these tools to allow me to get off meds, right? Because I fucking hated it. I was, I was ashamed to be on meds. I was like, all these things, right? And um, when I got off it, I built up such a tool set that now I just keep those those skills in my, who I am, and uh, it really allows me to be a lot more, as I said, a lot more grounded and kind of bulletproof to that shit. Um, in a healthy way, not in a bravado way, just more like, I think, more of a grounded way. Mm. And so, yeah, man, it's that dark shit that also makes us better and stronger. And, and so, uh, yeah, I think that journey again, because uh, often if we go on these journeys with always just trying to be positive and getting good, it's just fucking brutal. <laughs> yeah, you just, you just beat yourself to shit. If we go in a bit more, a bit more compassion, it just becomes a lot more manageable. And yeah, you know, I heard a great quote like, "Never go on a journey of self-discovery unless you don't take generous amounts of self-compassion." You know, like it's just not worth it. You know, you're just gonna come out of it fucking wrecked. Just um, accept that it's gonna be a roller coaster if you want to go on an entrepreneurial journey. Or yeah, and, and surround yourself with good people, which you clearly have. So I think you're well set up for it, dude. Yeah, do you mind if I share that piece? I was recording that quote, so that's the, that's the piece of the puzzle I don't think is told. It's like the the motive behind it or why you did the, the business or what, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, why you formed this meditation routine. Well, it um, comes at the end of it though, because you don't know at the start. That's mm-hmm. what I've come to now. Yeah. But during it, yeah, again, if someone could told me, that would be a nice one to be told. That was a real joy for me. It, it's taken me from kind of a six, maybe even lower out of 10 to about a, a nine out of 10 in terms of possibility and energy and um, just optimism for the day. So hopefully it's done the same for you. And uh, thank you, Jade. Thank you for all of those listening in. Um, again, I've had a few couple of down days, which I've been trying to engineer backwards engineer why they, why they happen and food sleep combination of things and, and people and then focus of the mind and just accepting that there's going to be ups and downs and it's nice to talk to someone like jade i've been talking to andrew 
Laoli from Be Pure as well, about just the nature of life, entrepreneurship, um, and when the, when you can kind of change your expectations, you can enjoy the ride a lot more. So hopefully, uh, you can enjoy many more rides and hopefully a few more of my podcasts to get you inspired and, and, and put some more doers in the world so less thinking more doing if there's something you think about doing just get out there and do it and if it's thinking about writing a review maybe do that too or come down to Studio Red and say hi and uh, thank you again for all the love again the reviews the comments uh, even um, I think it was Leonard came up to me in the street the other day to said hi and they had been listening to the podcast I was like wow people you know <laughs> that's a real so shout out to you brother um, he was off for a game of golf and just said said hi and he really enjoyed the, the podcast so if you enjoy what someone does let them know it's um, a big part of the my those lower days I've had have been really self focused so when it's not about you it's so much easier when it's about creating a smile on the face of the person who's making you a turmeric latte uh, or ringing up to find out what your family's up to or visiting your granddad or working an idea that can uh, liberate people or listening to a podcast that's about the potential of the human race then uh, just helps that and moving the body I think um, just two backbones and to to health to happiness to success and I love Jade's definition of success it's it's where we've come from to where we are now that's that's the real internal measurement moving forward in the right direction so hopefully this moves you forward in the right direction here's Arthur Arbiz to play us out once more enjoy rock on people Think less, experience more. I hope you dug it and hope to have you on the line again soon.